What's up, interpreters? This is Ira Bletz. I am a retired interpreter from the East Bay Regional Park District in the San Francisco Bay Area. I am the co-grand poobah of the Historic Eating and Drinking Society, the Head Society, and I'm excited to talk about interpretation today. What's up, interpreters? I'm NAI Executive Director Paul Caputo and former attendee of Ira Bletz's interpreting beer sessions at NAI conferences over the years. What's up, interpreters? I'm Song. I'm your NAI events and engagement manager, and I am a future attendee of the Ira Bletz. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, you do not want to miss this, Song. <laughs> I know. Uh, hey, Ira, it's good to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm sitting in my yard. I've got uh, red-breasted nuthatches and chestnut-backed chickadees flying around. It's a great day here in the Bay Area. You know, we always have the guests introduce themselves, and I'm always curious what they're going to say. And so the Historic Eating and Drinking Society, uh, that acronym is HEAD, uh, may be uh, Ira's lead affiliation right now, but Ira is also a member of NAI's Board of Directors. So we get to see Ira at, here in Fort Collins, and we'll get to see Ira in Little Rock, Arkansas at the National Conference. So Ira is an interpreter of beer. We thought we'd have some fun on this episode and talk about interpreting beer a little bit. So I'd love to get the, the, the tab rolling here, I guess, and say and just ask Ira, how did you get started interpreting beer? It started when I was a student at San Jose State University, and I was a resident advisor in the dormitories, and one of my duties included coming up with a dorm activity. And I figured, well, I'm also a student of interpretation, and you know, uh, you got to know your audience. And I figured college students and beer, what? It's a match made in heaven. So I did a little bit of research. Uh, in those days, I had more beer than I had information. But it, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do the program. It was insanely popular. And I thought, you know, I really need to learn more about beer and the history of beer. And that that got me started on my way. I have I have done this this program probably 10 times, 12 times for NAI at national conferences. Uh, I've done it for a lot of groups uh, that do it as fundraisers or do it as team building exercises. I once did it for the correctional officers at the Pleasanton Federal Prison here in the Bay Area. I did it for the uh, psychiatric and surgical doctors and nurses of John Muir Hospital. I, I even did one on Alcatraz Island on Broadway, oh. the main aisle through the cell house. Uh, I was once flown from California to New Jersey to do a do the presentation for a board of directors of a, a private nature center. And during the pandemic, I branched out and was doing Zoom uh, beer tastings which were a lot of fun. I just did one not, not too long ago. It had been a prize at an, at an auction for the regional workshop. And uh, it was supposed to be an in-person program, but of course that didn't happen. And then they switched, we switched it to uh, virtual. And I had people from all over California, mostly state parks folks, and then uh, relatives of theirs from Ohio and Pennsylvania. Well, Ira, when I was stuck in New York City one time, I wandered the streets and I found this little off-Broadway show called The History of Alcohol. 
and it was one of the most fun and most entertaining shows that I've been to. Um, it started with, you know, mead going through prohibition, lots of beer, lots of gin. I mean, it was, it was super entertaining and my ticket came with three drinks. So that was a win. That was a win. So, you know, Ira, everybody, well, okay. I won't say everybody. I happen to like beer. Uh, but what, what makes beer such a great subject for interpreting? Beer is ordinary. People don't, tend to give beer a lot of thought. As an interpreter, you want you want the really amazing natural history phenomenon. You know, you want to talk about uh, important historic events. You want to talk about moments in time that change the course of human history. And beer does all of that. Uh, I like the idea that it's ordinary. I like the idea that it, that it has woven itself through not just our modern American culture, but cultures around the world. Because everybody, if they had something that could be fermented, figured out how to make beer, whether it was barley, which is what's most commonly used, or millet, or cassava, or corn, or wheat, it doesn't matter. If you had a grain, rice, anything, you could, people figured out how to make beer. And and for thousands of years, beer was a staple of human diet. It provided carbohydrates, it provided calories, it provided vitamins and minerals, which it still does today. And I also like the fact that beer is made basically the same way that it's been made for thousands of years. The science and the equipment have just gotten better. So as I mentioned, I've been uh, to several of your sessions I always volunteered to run AV at the uh, at the interpreting beer special event evening uh, or, or the special evening event. So, uh, you know, I got to go and attend these. Once I got the projector up and running, it was like, well, I guess I'll just sit here and try all these samples of beer. Uh, I, I've always enjoyed, though, that what you what you do with this is you bring in local beers. You know, you have a you have a program that can be sort of catered to where, wherever we end up, assuming they have different styles of beer, which everybody does now. So why is it so important to you? You know, when we go to a a specific place for the national conference and you do this presentation, why is it so important to you to get the local beers and tell this larger story that isn't hyper-local necessarily? You just said beer is everywhere and and throughout history, but you, you tell the story through the local beers in each of the places where we go. I, I think some of the best interpretation and best interpretive programs connect to place. And I can certainly sit in St. Paul, Minnesota and talk about Munich and talk about Milwaukee or talk about any place that has a good beer story. But by relating it to the place, by bringing in local beers, as you said, it it's a wonderful connection. It's also most of the people attending the conference aren't from that city, even from that state necessarily. And so it's really a chance to try beers that people haven't had a chance to try before find some unique styles different tastes there are regional differences to beer and avoid the big national brands which you know you can get a Budweiser or a Coors anywhere and it's going to taste exactly the same that's not an easy thing for a brewer to do I'll give them credit for that but it's not as, as in, it's not as interesting. It's not as exciting and it's not connected to 
the story. I mean, you know, when 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 we were in St. Paul, to use that as the example, Minnesota has a fascinating beer history that you would never you would never find if you didn't if I didn't dig into it. So I try to I always try to blend the big story, the big history of beer and how beer is responsible for modern civilization and how beer gave us so many uh, important inventions. But I also like to tie it to a local place. And that way, if people have been on the program before, they also get new information. I'm not simply rolling out exactly the same presentation over and over again. So when I was in St. Louis, obviously, obviously, I went toward the Anheuser-Busch brewery there. And they do have a wonderful tour with actually pretty solid interpretation there. If anybody, any of you listeners out there from the St. Louis area, just super fascinating, right? The history of it, uh, the family history, uh, the way that they turned the the manufacturing during Prohibition into like, you know, a baking soda factory or something, you know, something completely crazy. Um, and then, of course, the Clydesdales and then course marketing budweiser right. marketing just amazing stuff so what is just out of curiosity what is one of your favorite like uh public beer tours or or interpretation of bear that you've been to i i think one of the ones i enjoyed the most was going to the yingling brewery in Pottstown, pennsylvania it's the oldest brewery uh in north america not the first by any means, but it's the oldest surviving and it's, it's family owned and you tour through the old brew house where they're not really brewing beer anymore. Uh, they have, you know, they have modern facilities. They, they do, they brew some beer at the original brewery, but it's a fascinating place because it's built into a hillside. Old breweries ran on gravity. So you started brewing on the top and and finished brewing on the ground floor. But they also had a situation where they had a large pasture behind it where the horses would come with the with the barrels of beer, empty barrels coming back from the taverns and the pubs where it was sold. And they would drop those off and then they would graze behind the uh, brewery. They also take you down into the loggering cellars. Uh, logger beer, beer has, the beer family tree has two branches, loggers and ales. And loggers are harder to make and they take longer, but they're what most people are familiar with as far as beer. And at one point, the federal government came and, and walled up their loggering cellars because I tend to believe they weren't just making ice cream as they said they were. But that, that was a fascinating one. Um, I, one of the other things I love about brewery tours is they always end you in the gift shop. It's it's amazing marketing. They they take you through, you get all this information, you have a little bit of beer, and then you go into the gift shop. It's it's brilliant. I I think the other favorite brewery tour was the Tuborg Brewery in Copenhagen, Denmark. Mm. It was really much a standard brewery tour. It was fun, got a lot, got a lot of information. At the end, you go into the tasting room. They didn't take you into the gift shop. They took you into the tasting room and you were going to get to taste four beers. And we were talking with our guide and we were interested in, in going to see the ballet. And turns out he was the biggest ballet fan in the city, I think. 
And so he wanted to, he, he was apologizing because the ballet was, was on tour. They weren't in Copenhagen. And he started telling us all his favorite stories. And in the meantime, he motioned to someone standing behind a curtain. Everyone else, all the other tour participants had left. So we're just sitting there, my wife and I with this guy. Somebody wheels out a cart with, I think, 10 more beers, different beers that Tuborg brewed. We were hammered by the end of that tour. I just, <laughs> fortunately, there's great public transportation in Copenhagen. We had no problem finding our way back to our hotel, but it was just, it was so fun because he just lit up talking about ballet. And, and of course we had to have beer because beer is the, perhaps the best social lubricant in the world. <laughs> so Ira, I don't, I don't want to, um, give away too much of your presentation here, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question. You can tell me if this goes too far, if this is, you know, okay. to save this for participants in the program, but the theme of your presentation is essentially there would be no civilization without beer. Exactly. And uh, I'm, I, if you're willing to uh, on this, in this public arena here, uh, outside the context of your actual presentation, can you expound on that? Can you take, can you Certainly. explain why there would be no civilization without beer? Certainly. Beer was not so much invented as discovered. So maybe 10,000 years ago, hunter-gatherers in what is now Iraq, the, you know, the area between the Tigris and Euphrates River, were gathering grain, wild grain. And some of what they gathered was wheat, and some of what they gathered was barley. And some of that barley got wet, and it sprouted a little. And then wild yeast landed on it, and in that sprouting process, starches converted to sugar. And the yeast landed and ate the sugar and produced alcohol and carbon dioxide, which is fermentation at, at, its, at its simplest. And somebody tasted that and they liked how it tasted. And so they reproduced that phenomenon. This was all done by women. Beer was, in, was discovered and refined and made what it is today by women brewing in their kitchens, brewing for their families, brewing for their friends. So you've got this new thing you found. You have, you have beer. Before that, people had what I'd call accidental alcohol, uh, rotted fruit that lands on the ground and ferments and you somebody tastes it and they like that. Or uh, you know, having, having honey ferment things like that. But beer was really the first time people intentionally wanted to make alcohol for, for themselves and their families. So you want to have alcohol, you need grain. So, the, so you could go out and keep gathering it and gathering it or the agricultural revolution. So people decided they wanted to have a steady supply of grain so that they could have lots of beer. The solution to that problem is to domesticate the grain. Now, some people are always, when I get to this point in the presentation, thinking, oh man, what is he, where is he going with this? Well, the first grain domesticated, what do you think it was? Are you wearing it on your hat right now? No, no, that I'm wearing a hop on my hat. That's not okay. a grain. Okay, sorry. You've got a you've got a Hillsborough hop minor league baseball hat I do. that you have on right now. So it was not hops. 
Uh, but it was barley. Was it barley? Exactly right. It was barley. A lot of people think it was wheat or rice. No, it was barley. And those ancient hunter-gatherers had a choice between barley and wheat. And wheat makes wonderful bread. Barley makes good beer. And so you can see why they chose it. So they domesticated the grain. People started to gather in small communities. Pretty soon you had people farming, which meant there was enough food so that everyone wasn't engaged in gathering food all the time. Next thing you know, you have you have craftspeople and artisans, and those villages became cities, and those cities became civilization, and there we are today. If people didn't want to drink beer, we would not have modern civilization. We would not have, we would not have poetry or writing. I'll go even that far. The first writing was all about beer. The ancient Sumerians would write on clay tablets and they kept track of barley harvests. They kept track of beer recipes and they kept track of how to make the beer. In fact, the oldest surviving human writing is, an, is, a, is, a, is a poem that talks about how you brew beer. It's called the Hymn of Ninkasi and she was the she was the goddess who filled your mouth. So, you know, there are a lot of things wrong with modern civilization. Uh, I think that's on us. But beer gave us a good a good place to start. <laughs> I'm sitting here drinking coffee while we're doing this interview. I think I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Me too. Well, I do think it's appropriate that this episode is going to drop in October, and uh, you know, Oktoberfest is right. happening in germany and also in my house this saturday excellent yeah getting lots of lots of microbrew beer from the bohemian in salt lake city so i will be probably Ira well, to, to talk to me about kolsch and lagers and the viennese uh oh, yeah. and the Czech beers and all the delicious stuff we're gonna have at my party well oh, you, you know oktoberfest is the largest public celebration in the world True story. It is. And the name is funny because it actually starts in September and it ends in the beginning of October. And I would encourage everyone listening, if they have not been to Oktoberfest, to go. It is it is a wild, happy party. And there are people from around the world. There's you get into one of those beer tents and they're not really tents, they're really buildings. And you get, to, you sit at a table and really everything comes to you. The beer comes to you, the food comes to you. Uh, you do have to get up to go to the restroom, but mm. that, you know, you don't buy beer, you rent it. Um, <laughs> so oh my yeah, God. I, I, I gotta know. say, Oktoberfest is just, and it's not, you know, it's not a fraternity party binge drinking. It's people laughing and dancing and singing and having a wonderful time. That actually is very much a life lister for me to get to Germany for Oktoberfest. I understand that the beer is slightly stronger that they brew in uh, for Oktoberfest. It is. The, the, so the Oktoberfest started as a wedding reception. Uh, the crown prince of Bavaria and the beautiful princess Teresa got married. Uh, they had on, the fir- on their first anniversary they decided to have a party for all the people in Munich and they went to a field on the edge of the city and 
all the breweries in Munich brought up, brought some beer. In, a, in September, what they have to, to give you is a Marzen style. It's a, a beer that's brewed in March and then lagered or aged through the summer because without refrigeration, you can't, you know, you, you, you can't uh, be brewing beer in the summer. Temperatures are too high. The yeast will work at that high temperature. It'll love it, but it'll make some really strange flavors in the beer. You know, who wants a lager that has weird butterscotch tones? And so, <laughs> so what they would do is they brew a batch of beer that was higher in alcohol because they wanted it to last through the summer in storage. And then in the fall, bring it out so people could enjoy it. And that's exactly what they did. Today, all the beer served at Oktoberfest is beer brewed in Munich. It's got to be from one of those breweries. They're not bringing in national brands or you know, beer from other countries. It is just the beer from Munich. And it's, it's all very good beer. Speaking of, of different kinds of beer, you, uh, you know, you mentioned, okay, uh, this is going to sound circuitous. Maybe it is. You named a couple of birds that were, were chirping in the background there that were singing in the background yes. as we started this, uh, this interview. A lot of interpreters uh, are naturalists, are bird lovers, are bird errs. They uh, keep bird lists. I've got one. I've got a You have list. a bird list. You also have a, a widely renowned beer list. Yes. That that requires we and we had this conversation at the board meeting in August. It requires that all you have to do is sip the beer. So if someone gives you a taste of, of their beer, or if you're out and about and someone gives you a taste of their beer, that counts. It doesn't have to be a full 12 ounces. It doesn't have to be a three ounce sample or anything like that. You just have to have tasted the beer for it to make your list. I love a good rule. So you've got rules and you follow them. I also love a good list. What is the number right now for your for your life list? So let me back up a little bit. I, my right. life list started at the National Conference in St. Paul, Minnesota in 2011. Uh, November 2011, I was I was doing a beer program. And, and it was kind of funny because the program was at the state restaurant, the official state restaurant of Minnesota. And they, they had wonderful food and they had a very extensive beer list. So I had, I had them send me the list of all the beers they could get. And I used the internet to try to research. I always like to have 10 beers for the program and each one a different style. So I put together a list. And then fortunately I have cousins in Minnesota because I'd never tasted any of these beers. They're all local uh, craft beers. So I sent the list to my cousins and they wrote me back and said, no, they're okay. No losers here. I, I flew out to Minnesota early to see, see my aunt and, and my cousins that are still living there. And one of my cousins took off work and made sure that over, over a couple of days, I tasted all of the beers I was going to talk about. I mean, I had all my research. I had all my information. I just hadn't tasted the beers. So he drove me all around to breweries, to tap rooms. We even had to go to a VFW hall for one of the beers, but I tasted them all. So when I walked in to do that program, I'd actually tasted and was able to evaluate all those beers before I talked about them. Um, as often happens, the beer program sold out. We had 60 people and that was the maximum we could squeeze into that restaurant. A bunch of people who couldn't get tickets, then the next night took me to a local brewery 
which had a flight of 10 beers that you could you could taste. So we all got those flights. And then I did sort of this blind interpretation of these 10 beers. <laughs> when I left St. Paul, I had tasted 41 beers and figured that I had a I was joking with someone about having a, a bird life list. I should have a beer life list. And then I realized, no, I really should have a beer mm. life list. <laughs> um, I even did the next year. I even did a big beer year, like a big, the big year for birders <laughs> where I was able to taste with the help of a lot of people, a thousand sixteen beers. We had, I had people mailing me beer. I had people who traveled bringing cans of beer back to me. So I've been keeping track ever since. Uh, every beer gets logged. It, it gets a rating. If I have a five-point scale to rate them. And I know where I tasted it, where it's brewed, and then any notes. And uh, I just got back from seeing the Giants uh, lose to the Diamondbacks in Phoenix. And when I, when I left there, my life list stood at 4,722 beers. <laughs> That is amazing. I also am very glad that Ira is the one to work baseball into this interview instead of me, because uh, I, Ira, Ira and I share an affinity for uh, the best sport in the world, baseball. It is the best sport. You know, it, baseball is like church. Many attend, few understand. <laughs> awesome. Um, just out of my curiosity, what would be what is your favorite local beer where you live in the in the Bay Area? And then what is your one of your top international beers? I would say if if I go out and I just want to get a beer, if they have Firestone Walkers 805, which is a wonderful ale brewed in Paso Robles, uh, it's one. still a really good beer. It's uh, and that that's one I really like. Uh, you know, as far as other beers that I like, my favorite style is really European lager, that, that style of beer. They're so well-made and they're, they have such wonderful balance and flavor. I'm not a big IPA person. I mean, I'll drink them. Oh. I'll taste them. But I don't like them. Lagers, yeah. lagers are a lot harder to brew. And I really think that um, that's, that's, where, that's where my love is. So I mean, anything from Munich, Spaten, uh, Polliner, you know, Hofra, how, any of those. Any of those are wonderful beers. Uh, Carlsberg from Copenhagen, another incredible beer. And, you know, I think one, one of my other favorites that now I don't know where I'm going to get it is Anchor Steam, uh, a very unique style uh, San Francisco beer that, Sapporo bought and now is closing and the fortunately the workers are trying to buy the brewery my last the last place you could get them was at Giants game so we we had to go to a couple Giants games That's at the, game the end of the summer to get an anchor steam <laughs> of course you, um, do. you know I think I think for interpreters look at ordinary things that have incredible stories most most visitors don't know the incredible stories and as an interpreter, you can find them. I mean, beer, as I said, beer has everything. It has stories about society, social injustice. It has, it has stories about scientific invention. You know, we, refrigeration, the microscope, the thermometer, all came about because of beer. And, 
and beer and beer like birds are everywhere. You can always find a beer. <laughs> Beers like birds. <laughs> <laughs> Beers like birds. Ira, this has been uh, so much fun. I just want, as we get out of here, I just want to ask you one last question. You know, you sure. and I are both baseball fans. We love minor league baseball. A lot of teams create their own branded beers, you know, so you yes. can, you know, you go and they've that, that, you know, specific spe- beer specific to their team. If NAI were to have a, a beer, what kind, what style of beer would an NAI branded beer be? It would not be an IPA. Mm-mm. Tastes like earwax. Uh, I think it would be a good English style ale. Got a lot of tradition behind it. A lot of good stories to tell. And had a huge impact on American American beer industry as well. If not that, then then a German lager because the Germans really revolutionized beer drinking in America. When the Germans arrived in the 1820s and 30s, they brought their tradition of not going into a dank tavern, dark place and sitting at a table and drinking, but they had outdoor beer gardens and the whole family was there. And the, the point was community and celebration and not getting drunk. So let me change my answer. I'm going to go a German lager beer. Awesome. Uh, well, Ira, thank you so much. This has uh, been as much fun as we thought it would, would be. And interpreters, and interpreters that's, what's, that's up. what's up. That wasn't too bad. I think that was <laughs> our best one yet. I think that might be the best one yet. 